continue to worship through our giving. Grab your Bibles. We've got a lot of God's Word this morning, and we, we believe here that the Word of God fuels our worship to God. Amen? So we respond to His Word this morning. Grab your Bibles for the reading of our text. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in verse 31 and 32. And then if you want to jump ahead just a little bit, stick your finger in Matthew chapter uh, 17? 19, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. So stick your finger there. And then jump back to Matthew 5. If you do not have a Bible, there should be a paperback Bible in the pew in front of you, or the pew back in front of you. If you don't own one, that's our gift to you. When you get to Matthew chapter 5, say how deep his love is for us. I don't know if that was grammatically correct, but it felt right. (laughs) Upon the conclusion of the reading of the second text, I will say this is the word of the Lord, and you will say thanks be to God. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Matthew 19, beginning in verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female, and said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh? So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate." They said to him, Why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and and to send her away? And he said to them, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Verse 10. The disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This is the word of the Lord. Well, amen. Um, We're continuing in our sermon series through the Sermon on the Mount. And obviously today we are looking at Jesus' words about divorce, um, marriage, and um, even singleness, really. And so uh, we're just going verse by verse, and we're looking at this series on the Sermon on the Mount. We're calling this Jesus Uncensored, because we're just looking directly at Jesus' words um, about various topics. And today, um, Jesus deals with a very sensitive issue, a very relative issue, Um, Oftentimes, for some reason, I always hear that people are like, well, Jesus never really spoke about marriage, or there's a lot of silence in the scriptures about marriage and really how it should go. And there could really be nothing further from the truth than that, um, as we see that Jesus is very clear about a picture of marriage. And maybe just as an introduction, um, last weekend, uh, my son Roman, our oldest son, he's very much into fishing right now. He's an all boy, and so he loves fishing, loves catching fish. And we had uh, some church members take us fishing um, at a place that we had never been at before. 
And Roman is a true fisherman because as soon as he casts that pole in the water and reels it in, if he doesn't catch anything with that bait, he goes, oh, I got to switch the lures. I got to get something different. I got to. And so then he'll tie something else onto the end and then he'll throw it out there. Then he'll reel it in and he'll go, oh, this just isn't working. I got to put something else on. Or if he's fishing with someone, he hasn't caught anything and they caught something. He goes, "Uh, daddy, what kind of bait do you have on the end of your fishing pole? And so as we were going to a pond in a place that we had never been before, um, he kept saying, oh, I want to use this new one that I bought with my own money. I want to use this new bait and this new lure. And I kept saying, Bubba, we have ne- we've never been here before. We need to listen to these people. And he goes, oh, no, 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 I want to use this. I want to use this. And I looked at him and I said, Bubba, we've never been here before. And you don't even know how to use this bait. You don't know why it was created this way and, and the guy made this bait and did this. We need to listen to our guide, the people that are taking us here. And quite frankly, I really think that that's how we need to view marriage. Because when we look at society and when we look at culture, um, there's statistics across the board, but basically it comes down to this, to Christians and non-Christians alike, 52% of marriages will end in divorce. 52. And so I think we have to look at this idea of marriage as not as our own design and our own idea. We are like little kids who have never been in this position before, and we're looking at this massively big concept, and we have to look at it as people who have not invented this, but rather let Jesus be our teacher and our guide today. And there's a reason why we're in two passages. If you look in Matthew chapter 5, you see that Jesus has two short verses about this idea um, of, of marriage and divorce. And he speaks very, very briefly about it. And he says, it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Now remember, Jesus is interpreting properly God's law. So the Pharisees would always sort of um, reinterpret God's law where if it was a little bit unclear, they, they thought, you know what, God really wasn't clear on that. So let us take it upon ourselves to clarify and to speak on God's behalf, right? And then in moments when God was really clear and it was crystal clear, they would go, ah, you know what, I don't really know if that's that clear. So let's really do it this way, which is so funny because we're so different than people in the Bible back in that day, right? But what we also see in Matthew 19, I want you to see this and I want you to have your Bible in front of you. Turn to Matthew 19. Jesus answers this again in verse 7. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce? Do you see that there? I don't want to be like twisting scripture and going places where it's not going. I want you as the people of God to have the word of God in your hand so you can see that we're dealing with this properly. And what we're doing and what all scholars and theologians agree with is Jesus gave sort of a sound bite in the Sermon on the Mount. It was one long, continuous sermon. But he also clarifies the the stance of marriage, divorce, and singleness in Matthew 19. And so we're going to spend the majority of our time in Matthew 19 because Jesus is clarifying what he said on the Sermon on the Mount. Do you see that there in your Bible? I'm not making this up. Don't take the preacher's word for it. Take God for it. Amen? Amen? So what we're going to have to look at is this. Jesus looks at the centrality of marriage. Then we'll deal with the certificate of divorce. Then we'll deal with the caution for the disciples. The first thing that Jesus does here is he talks about the centrality of marriage in Matthew 19. Look at verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. 
And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. I always like to describe Jesus as sort of like um, a rapper who wins a Grammy. Have you ever noticed that? You've ever watched the Grammys before, right? One guy was on the song, right? He's the guy that did the song, and he got the Grammy. But for some reason, when he accepts the award, forty-seven guys get up on stage with him, and they're like, "Yeah, right." That's sort of like Jesus. Jesus is like a rapper. Sure, that's fine. You can put that as your Facebook status. Well, what Jesus is doing is he has large crowds following him. And the Pharisees, they're a little bit jealous and they don't like this. So look now at verse 3. And Pharisees came up to him, and here's the word, and tested him. That word tested is in the negative connotation. There's two types of testing. Do you remember teachers in school that were like, hey, we have a test coming up Friday. Be sure, read the study guide. That's a good kind of test. But did you ever have the teacher that you walked in on Thursday and they were like, surprise, there's a pop quiz test today, right? And everything that I've been lecturing on is not on the test. That's the negative connotation for the test. So what they want to do is this. They want Jesus to, ask, uh, to answer the question that they're asking, which is, if he says and solidifies the certificate of divorce, then the certificate of divorce still stands, and this is good. But if he does away with that, then everybody's going to be up in arms and think, oh, Jesus has a new design for marriage. But look at what they say. They ask, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Now, what's important about this divorce clause is it comes from Deuteronomy chapter 4. Okay, so I have to teach and do a little bit of background. God forbid that you learn something new about the Bible today at church, right? Shocking that we study the Bible, okay? So in Deuteronomy chapter 4, God is laying down the law. He has just rescued Israel from Egypt, right, from Pharaoh. Remember Charlton Heston when he parted the Red Sea? Remember that guy, right? And so now he's saying, in light of me saving you, in light of you being my people, this is how you will live, But there was a problem that was happening. These Jewish male men were literally almost divorcing their wives and writing them a certificate of divorce. Literally almost some Jewish rabbis say because they didn't cook their breakfast properly or because they had lustful desires. And they would say, you know what? I'm going to divorce you for a season and I'm going to go be with this woman for a season and then I may come back later on and I may marry you again. And Moses sees all of this brokenness that's happening within marriage, and Moses institutes a certificate of divorce that we're going to deal with in just a minute. They're asking, but here's what I want you to see. They're asking about divorce, right? They're just like us. Jesus, how far is the line, right? Like in counseling sessions all the time. Well, Jason, really what is sex before marriage? I mean, like, really how far is too far? Right? I mean, come on. We're all the same. We're all like right there. Like, how far is the line? And they ask Jesus that and look at Jesus' answer. I love verse 4. Have you not read? (laughs) These guys had memorized the first five books of the Bible. Right? They demolished you at Awana's. They had all the pins, the little hat with the thing on. They had all that stuff, right? They had memorized books of the Bible. And when I read this and studied this this week, I, got, I almost thought man, we could preach a sermon from verse 4. Because there's a way to read the Bible and totally miss God, or there's a way to read the Bible and see God. 
And Jesus tells people who had memorized the Bible, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And he says, and he quotes directly Genesis 2. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus didn't even answer their question about divorce. I love that. They go, hey, we want to know where the line is about divorce. We want to know about this. And Jesus goes, okay. Um, In the beginning when God created the male and female. You see, listen. The Pharisees' concern was about permission to divorce. But Jesus' concern was the priority of marriage. And do you know what I love about that? What I love about that is Jesus is saying, hey, 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 before we ever deal with this issue, before we ever deal with this issue of divorce, divorce is a secondary issue. What is the first and primary issue is God's intention for marriage. So we can't look at divorce properly if you don't even understand the proper idea and picture of marriage. And so Jesus literally here gives us the blueprint for marriage. Anytime I speak on marriage, if you've been at Westside for any season of time, this is nothing new. I'm not going to say anything new and fascinating today because I believe that this is one nail that we will hit over and over and over and over and over and over again constantly. So if you're single, if you're dating, if you're young, or even if you're married, this is applicable because this is Jesus' view of marriage here. The very first thing is this, that marriage is important. Leave. Marriage is important. Leave. It comes right from the verse. Look at what Jesus says. Therefore, a man shall leave. Wow, Jason, it's like your points come from the Bible. Amazing, right? The word's right there. Leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Jesus goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. So I have to challenge you, okay? So if you say that Jesus was silent on marriage or that Genesis 2 is just so old-fashioned, Jason, well, I believe in a literal Adam and Eve and a literal marriage in Genesis 2 because I believe that Jesus believed in a literal Adam and Eve and a literal marriage in Genesis 2. And he says marriage is important. It's priority between the male and the female when they come together under the covenant of marriage. So leave. And do you understand how provocative that was in the ancient times? Because in the ancient times, the family was the center of your identity. That's why always in scripture you have someone known as the son of so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of Jehoshaphat, the son of, you know, this other fat guy or something like, you know what I mean? Something like that. It's always the son of someone. But Jesus says the first idea of marriage is that you leave that identity and you come together. So how is this applicable to us? That means that you don't go running to mama and daddy when turbulent times happen in your marriage. Is that too early for the 9 a.m.? Am I not supposed to do that already? That means that when it requires work into your marriage, you don't go to your mom's house anymore because that's not your home. Your home is the home that you're creating now with your spouse. This is your first identity. Before your job, before your children, parents, listen to me. What your kids need more than you just loving them is they need to see a gospel-centered marriage. 
Your kids need you to love your wife and your kids need you to love your husband first before they need you to love them. That's what they need. And Jesus says that marriage is important, so you leave. This is the first identity. Listen, there will be a day where I'm not a pastor anymore. There will be a day where I don't introduce myself as pastor so-and-so. But there will never be a day that I'm on this earth by the grace of God that I am not Courtney's husband. It is the first identity apart from being a child of God. That's how important it is. The second thing is this, is that marriage is permanent. Cleave. Cleave. I take this from the old King James, but it says this, that he made them male and female, therefore a man should leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. In the King James Version, it says that he should cleave to his wife. Did you know that we get our word covenant from the word cleave? And you know, we teach about this all the time, and we just responded. You know what a covenant is? See, there's a difference in a covenant and a contract. A contract is based upon performance. So here's the duties, right? So so now our society is very confused about what marriage is, because now we have things like prenuptial agreements, which is organizing the divorce before the marriage, right? That's what it is. And so now we view marriage as a contract. You do X, Y, and Z. I will do A, B, and C. And then if you do not follow through on this, I'm out. I'm out. And here's the stipulations already in light of this. But Jesus says the design from the beginning was that marriage would be permanent. That a contract is, listen, is based on performance. But a covenant is based upon a future promise. Do you know that's what you do in your wedding vows? Your wedding vows are not for the day of marriage. You know that, right? That when you stood up there, you didn't listen to nothing the preacher said. Nothing. Guys, especially you, okay? Right? I do marriages all the time. I do weddings all the time. And I'm standing up there, and I'm just like, these people aren't hearing nothing I'm saying right now, especially him, right? Right? And when you say, till death do us part, for richer or for poorer, that's why I love classic wedding vows, I don't like when the bride and groom write their own because it's all fluffy Nicholas Sparks garbage. You know what I mean? I will love you on sunshine and rainbows. And I love, you know, it's just all this frou-frou, all this stuff. Love is a choice. And this idea of a covenant is based upon a future promise. So listen to this. Marriage is not built on the present feeling of love. Marriage is built on the future promise to love. So listen, how is this applicable to you? That when your marriage reaches difficulties and tough times, because you know what they call people who are struggling in their marriage, right? You know, they they got a word for them? Married. Right? Right? And so when your marriage comes to a difficult point, perfect. Because you promise to be there right then. That's what you promised to be, is in that very moment. Is this the lowest it's ever been? Is this the toughest it's ever been? Have you never been here before? Do you not know how to move forward? Perfect. You promised to be here, right there, right here in this moment. And Jesus says, from the beginning, this was the institution, that marriage is important, that we should leave, that marriage is permanent, that we should cleave under this idea of a covenant. And then lastly, this, marriage is intimate, we weave. It says, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And then he reiterates it. 
So they are no longer two, but one flesh. And then Jesus puts his stamp of authority on it. What therefore God has joined together, huge word in the Greek, let man not separate. That's Jesus' picture of marriage. That there should be something so intimate. Did you know in the, in the Hebrew, this idea of weave literally means a mingling of souls. So what does this mean? It means that as a man and a woman under the covenant of marriage, that there is nothing separate in your life. There's no separate bank accounts. There's no separate secrets. There is none of that. You are one flesh under the covenant of marriage. That's God's design. And the moment you start letting things in to separate that, and there's secret email accounts, and there's different bank accounts, and there's different this, and I send my mail to this P.O. box, and so she doesn't, or so he doesn't, right? Once that begins to happen, it is a separation of the two becoming one. This is Jesus' picture of marriage. It's very important for us to see this. Now, can you feel it in the room? Can you just, it's just there, right? So what do we do about this idea of divorce? Because if this is God's view, and it's a high view, and we'll see later on, it's a very high view. What, what do we do with this understanding? Well, Jesus addresses this. The second thing we see is the certificate of divorce. They reiterate the question, verse 7. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? I love this. Look at this. Look at verse 8. And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Do you see the difference of words? Right? The Pharisees ask, why did Moses command the certificate of divorce? And Jesus leans in a little more and goes, you're putting a little too much weight on those words. Moses allowed the certificate of divorce because of your hardness of heart. Have you noticed in the past three sermons, there's been a word that's continually popped up? And it's the word heart. About anger, about lust, and now about divorce. You understand that you don't come to Jesus Christ and he being the king of the cosmos. You don't come to a king with negotiations. Saying that this is an aspect of my life that I really don't want you to rule and reign over. What Jesus Christ wants is all of your heart. And listen, he's prepared to even take the dark parts of it. He already knows. That's what Jesus is addressing here. So what is this idea of divorce? I'm going to lean heavy on a gentleman by the name of Kevin DeYoung because I believe that he put it beautifully in a sentence, and it's this. All, not all divorce is sinful. But all divorce is a result of sin. Not all divorce is sinful. But listen to me. All divorce is a result of sin. I believe that that is summarizing what Jesus just said in that verse. Because of your hardness of heart that Moses gave the certificate of divorce. Um, I worked bivocational uh, before I came full-time here at Westside at Edwards Funeral Home. There in Donathan, I was the in-house chaplain. And so when a family came in and they didn't have a minister, I, I was able to preach their funeral and minister to them. 
And, 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 and working there, you see a lot of things. But one of the most difficult things there at the funeral home is when you walk a family through and you go through the casket room. And they pick out a casket for their loved one. And there's a section in the casket room where we have baby caskets. And we've done those. Why, why do we have to sell baby caskets? Because unfortunately in this fallen and in this sinful and in this broken world, babies die. Horrible things happen. That's why Moses allowed the certificate of divorce. Do you see the difference? That Moses knew that there's a brokenness here and the hardness and sinfulness of heart that I have to put guardrails around this thing or this thing is going to spin out of control. And there are exemption clauses in Scripture. So divorce is permitted but not required on the grounds of, and we're going to walk through these, but listen, look up here. Please look at me. I've prayed so heavy for this moment in the message because there are some of you that are sitting there that are waiting to find one that appeals to you so you can hit the eject button, and I would tell you that your heart is hard. That this is not God's intention from the beginning. Because listen, divorce is not like changing your clothes. Divorce is like ripping your arm off. It's an amputation of yourself, of a part of you that is always there and it will always linger and be there. If you don't believe me, just speak to someone. You know this. But just like the realities of life, sometimes an amputation is necessary when a disease sets in on a limb and they have to remove it in order to save the person. It's permitted but not required on the grounds of, first and foremost, sexual immorality. Jesus tells us that. That's the Greek word pornea. Sound familiar? It's where we get our word pornographic or pornography. What it means is unfaithfulness. Physically, um, last week, I would argue even emotionally, when Jesus talks about the idea of lust in someone's heart. What Jesus doesn't tell us is how long reconciliation takes, how bloody the process is, or any of that. So you can't just look at this exemption clause and hit the eject button. Because what we see is our God has a heart of reconciliation. Yes, yes. Sexual immorality, and then secondly, abandonment of an unbelieving spouse. And this comes from 1 Corinthians. You can write this reference down. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 10 through 15. That's where the Apostle Paul speaks that if someone abandons their covenant vows, leaves, moves away, won't speak to you anymore. How, how can you reconcile? Listen, it takes one person to forgive, and it takes two people to reconcile. How can you reconcile a relationship if someone abandons and leaves? And Paul says, you cannot. But I also know people that this has happened to them, and they haven't divorced because they felt through prayer and conviction and counseling and Scripture, it was better to just let that person go. Our conscience bears witness on these things. I don't think that we can make easy blanket statements. And then lastly, some people disagree with me on this, and that's fine, that's okay. But as a pastor and doing counseling, I also believe that I have to say that there's a third one, and that's abuse. 
I cannot stand up here and you are fearful to go home this afternoon because of emotional and physical danger in your marriage. I believe that that also qualifies as the abandonment of an unbelieving spouse. That, that if there's physical harm, listen, we say this all the time. You can love someone like Jesus and forgive someone like Jesus and obey Romans 13 and call the cops on that dude super fast, okay? And so we see that God has laid this out. And this isn't the first priority. Listen, God's first concern is the priority of marriage. Look at this properly. And then because of brokenness, man, there used to be a time where I just held fast to these blanket statements and just threw them over everybody and thought, by God, if you don't obey to that, then you need to come under the bat of truth and I'll just beat you down with that bat. And Now being a pastor and counseling and being in student ministry and seeing kids affected by divorce, and it's just, it's... It's when we separate the two becoming one, there's so much that happens there. This is not an easy thing. This is not a light thing. This is a very serious thing. One of the things that I want to do is um, I want to give a shout out to Fellowship General Baptist Church north of town. They have um, what's called divorce care. And they meet on Wednesday evenings at 6.15. I went by, spoke with Byron. I know the pastor there. Listen, man, Westside ain't the only church in town, bro. It's a team effort. This is kingdom business. And so I praise God for another local church that's ministering and partaking. We have bulletins out there at the Welcome Center if you want to be a part of this. They hold. I talked to Byron this week about what I was speaking about. I know the staff there. And they provide awesome care for this. Because there is something that happens and takes place. When this happens, and God speaks very strongly in Scripture about it. In Malachi chapter 2, he says these words For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. Here's why, though. Listen, please. God doesn't hate the divorcee, God hates divorce. So please listen to me on behalf of the evangelical church. If you've heard an idiot in the pulpit say something to you that has begraded you or made you feel like that you've worn a scarlet letter all of your life, tell him to come see me. I got something for that dude, okay? God hates divorce because of the brokenness, because of the act. God doesn't hate the divorcee. God hates divorce for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. Do you know why this is marriage is so close to God's heart? And why divorce, he speaks so strongly about it? Because the reason why divorce is devastating is because divorce is a distortion of the gospel. We see that God instituted marriage. And he instituted marriage, listen, as a picture of to the world to show what his love is like. The Apostle Paul picks this up in Ephesians chapter 5. Look at what he says. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife. Do you see it there again? I'm staying with the text. This week I was so driven by how this Genesis 2.27 statement is anchored all through Scripture. Therefore shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. And I am saying that this mystery refers to to Christ and the church. Do you see it? 
And the reason why when brokenness and everything enters in, it distorts God's picture and his view of what he's given to the world. So husbands, the way that you love your wives, the person that we take our example from is Jesus Christ. Ladies, the way that you love your husband is the way that Christ loved the church. Do you see that? That's why this is important. And then Jesus ends with this, the caution for the disciples. Look at verse 10. So they walk away. Please have your eyes on Scripture because this is a very sensitive topic and I want you to know that it's coming from here. Verse 10. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man and his wife, it is better not to marry. Like, I love that the disciples came and said that to Jesus. Like, yo, man, if that's how high you view marriage... And if that is that big of a deal, it's probably better than a dude not even get married, man. That is like serious stuff. And you know what Jesus does? He doesn't correct them. He doesn't water it down. He doesn't go, oh, I know, I was just saying that to the crowds on Sunday. But, you know, whenever you come in, we don't really believe. No, he says this. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been made so from birth. If you want to know what a eunuch is, you can talk to Pastor Tyler out in the lobby afterwards. He'd love to answer that question for you. (laughs) Right? And then it says this, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this. When you see eunuchs, think single. Singleness. So there's two applications from the rest of this passage that I see that, listen, applies to you single people or to you engaged people or to you dating people. The first one is this. Marriage is serious. It is serious. It is not just some thing that you enter into and it's lightly. Marriage is serious. But then secondly this, singleness is a gift given by God to be stewarded well. Just listen to me. You are not less of a person because you are single. And I know what it's like in small town Popper Bluff. It's you go to college, you get the degree, you meet the person, you come back home, you get the job, you get the house, you get the boat, you get the dog, you have 2.7 kids, and you do the thing, and you do the thing. I get it. I understand that there's that small town pressure there. But like, did you know that Jesus was single? The Apostle Paul was single. You're in good company, okay? You are not less than. But listen, don't waste this time. Steward the time that God has given you. So what's the big idea? What are we supposed to walk away from this? The big idea is simply this, and it's every time we teach on marriage. That Jesus is the perfect spouse. That Jesus is the only person who's going to fulfill all of your desires. Jesus Christ is the only person who has shoulders broad enough for you to put all of those expectations and all of that happiness. And he asks for it. He desires it. He wants it. He begs for that. So I want to end today as Pastor Tyler comes and leads us in a response by speaking to different types of people. First and foremost, I want to speak to single people. Marriage is serious. If you're looking to date or be engaged, please take your time. 
please take your time. It is much easier to build the foundation first and then build the home than it is to find out that there's a crack in the foundation, tear the house down and remodel it. That's a tough process. And maybe some of you need to literally ask, like, God, is is this something that you have for me in this season of singleness? I know we say that it's a gift given by God, and some of you are like, that's a gift I would like to return, you know, God, I got the receipt for this one, you know. But, But rather than ultimately asking for your own desires, listen, we prayed it, not mine, but thy will be done. Thy will be done. And then secondly, to the married people in the room, Maybe today is a day where you grab your spouse's hand. Maybe it's an apology. Maybe it's a recommitment. Maybe it's a, hey, we're in this thing. And listen to me. Stop fighting in your marriage and start fighting for it. Let that be done today. Let the love of Christ be the motivation for you. And then to those of us who have been divorced in the room, understand that you don't wear a scarlet letter. Listen to me, divorce does not define you by any means at all. The identity of Christ does. That's the exchange of faith, that we give him our brokenness, and then when we do that, we get everything that he has. For that you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God so that when God looks at me, he doesn't see my past, he doesn't see my mistakes, but he sees Christ. You are a son and a daughter of God. That is what defines you. And please hear that good news today. And then to everyone in the room, God speaks to us through the covenant of marriage, all through scripture. And I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you're peeking over the fence at Christianity. I don't know if you're questioning this Jesus guy. But God has words for you. And he says this about his people in the book of Hosea. But then I will win her back once again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope and she will give herself to me there. And as she did long ago when she was young and when I freed her from the captivity of Egypt, oh God is wooing us today just like a spouse woos a spouse into the covenant of marriage. And God speaks tenderly to you today. I want to close with these words before we come to the table and we see the ultimate idea and picture of marriage. His body broken and his blood shed. Because there's only one reason why Jesus is the perfect spouse. Every day you and I reject the holiness of Jesus in a million different ways. Only a fraction of which we are even conscious of. If Jesus were keeping a list of our wrongs, none of us would even stand a chance. At any second of any day, even on our best days, Jesus could have legal grounds to say, this is it. I can't do it anymore. You violated my love and my trust for the last time. The truth is, you've never even met a wronged spouse like Jesus. You've never met a disrespected spouse like Jesus. You've never met a spouse who has more than carried their weight like Jesus. He's carrying the entire relationship on his back. This thing is totally one-sided. And yet, he loves, he gives, he serves, he approves, he washes, 
and he delights and he romances and he doesn't just tolerate us. He lavishes his affection on us. He justifies us and he sanctifies us and he will one day glorify us. This is the gospel and Jesus is your heart's ultimate desire. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and speak to whom you need to speak to. God, save a marriage today. Oh God, save a marriage today that was in the valley of trouble, but now will have its vineyards renewed because of your good news. God, may someone who has walked in here who feels like that they've had a scarlet letter on their shirt or that they've been walking around in guilt and shame feel your robe of righteousness rest on them because of Christ. And may we all be so taken back and worship at the picture of marriage because it's about the gospel and it's about your love towards us and your covenant. Have your way with us. We pray this in the mighty and the precious in the beautiful name of the perfect spouse, Jesus Christ. Amen. Would you stand right where you're at? Come and partake in communion.